Amen. Thank you, Carter. Miss Heidi, appreciate that much. Romans chapter number 13. If you're grabbing your Bibles, join me in Romans chapter number 13 as we further our study here in this wonderful chapter. And uh, if you can join us, that'd be great. Have a Bible there in front of you if you need one. We'd love for you to follow along. And uh, we might have some extra outlines in the back. Brother Cliff, or there's some outlines there. That would be fantastic. Thank you, my friend. And Brother Cliff will make his way down the middle aisle. If you need an outline, just be sure to get his attention. As we delve back into Romans chapter 13, already a been a great study, fun study, and uh, this unique passage dealing with a very uh, close-to-home passage dealing with government and our responsibility as citizens and government's responsibilities, and very touchy in some ways, I understand, and sensitive and so forth, but a great study to understand what God's Word said. So we're trying to draw in uh, many other passages from the Scripture, and so as we have tonight and then next week, we'll bring it to a close through verse 7, we'll draw, we'll really draw in some other passages and get a good, robust understanding of what the Scriptures say about government, about our response to government on many different levels. And so let's look at at verse number 1. We'll read down through verse 7 again just to familiarize ourselves once again with the passage. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister uh, of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. But for, or for, for this cause, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. We started out with our look at this passage of simply wanting to identify this truth, first of all, the government's responsibilities to its citizens. And we identify two things immediately from this passage, specifically uh, those uh, verses 3 and four, this truth. Government is to hold back evil, protect the community, and government is to hold up good. It's to punish the evildoers and then protect. Praise is the idea here. And we talked about, and we've kind of really settled on this reality, how government modernly, or its modern expression, has overstepped its bounds. In other words, it's gone outside of its role. It's overstepped. It's taken responsibility of things that it has no business taking responsibility of. And so we kind of finished up there kind of understanding that reality. And you know, we said the reality is, as we look at governments today, nations around the world, they're really focusing on the wrong things. They need to get back to punishing the wrongdoer and praising the good doer, if we could put it that way. It isn't just this passage either. And I, I, I meant to mention this last week. I didn't. Let's go to it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 14 says the same thing. Or unto governors. And, and talking about submission. And we'll see the prior verse, uh, 12 and 13 here not this week but next week, uh, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. 
And so we understand that is the role, responsibility. We also simply alluded to when anybody in any of God's institutions step outside of your role and assumes another, we've got trouble. And so such is the case. And so just let me clarify that too. As we said last week, when we say that the government has taken the responsibility of things, boy, they have forced us into a corner in many ways, you know, whether it be health care and social security and things like that. I get it. Uh, the, The fact is God never intended the welfare and everything else. God never intended the government to orchestrate and to administrate those things. If you study scriptures, God always intended the church, the family, and so forth. And that'll be a study for another day, understanding whose roles those are. But suffice it to say, the government has overstepped that, and we saw that last week. But at the end of our service, we got into the next point, right? So what is the Christian's responsibility to government? In other words, the Christian citizen still living in an earthly kingdom is how I like to state it. And so we looked at the first thing right away, and the first one was simply this, where to support. It says, tribute to whom tribute is due, dues to whom uh, that is due. And so we saw there, let me back up a second, I'm sorry. We saw there first we're supposed to support with our paycheck. And you can't have government without taxes, as difficult as that is. And uh, it takes care of it. It it, it supplies it. It funds it as we ought to. And uh, I'm a big proponent of funding police, not defunding police. And uh, taking care of those who protect us, taking care of those who are supposed to lead and so forth. That's, that's biblical. The Bible puts a, uh, a mandate on our, the fact that we're supposed to pay our taxes, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And so no Christian's ever benefited or been blessed by cheating the government or cheating taxes. And I think that's pretty clear in the principle of honesty. All right, as we talk about now, we're going to draw in some other things. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, if you will, please. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, and we'll look at verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 3. He's talking here in this passage to Timothy, a pastor, and he's saying, listen, this is what I want you to do. This is what I recommend you doing. Certainly teach the church to do likewise. Verse number one, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, that is a mouthful of parts or ingredients of prayer, isn't it? Thankfulness, intercession, interceding on someone else's behalf, um, supplications, prayers. So he just kind of throws it all in, gives every aspect, every color of prayer, we might say. And uh, he says, give it for all men. Then verse 2, for who else? For kings. Wicked for us in our modern government, we could say for presidents, for all that are in authority, for governors, for congressmen, congresswomen, and that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And I like that statement. Do you see what some of the impetus is? Number one, the impetus to pray for them, as we'll see, is certainly because God says to. But can I also tell you, he says here in this passage, Timothy, pray so that you live a peaceable and quiet life. I don't know about you, but I like a peaceable and quiet life. Okay? As a parent, it's sometimes good when the kids are put to bed. And they stay in bed. And they're quiet in bed. It's nice to have quiet, peace and quiet. It's nice to live a peaceable, quiet life. I'm thankful that even out here, crime is rare. Aren't you? 
Thankful I don't live in a city where sometimes some cities where, boy, you have to be careful, you're scared, you have to sleep with your gun in your hands, whatever the case may be, or your baseball bat, whatever is your choice. Um, but I'm glad we don't have to do that. Hey, can I tell you, it's good to live a quiet and peaceful life. That's what he says here, and I, I like that. And, but why do we want to live a quiet and peaceful life? Because, Pastor Henry, I just want to be free from everything and live comfortable. That's not the, what he says in here. Live a quiet and peaceful life. Do you catch it? In all godliness and honesty. So, so we want to live quietly, and pe- we want to pray for those in authority so we can live a quiet and peaceful life so we don't have to worry about what the government's doing and protecting ourselves and things. We want to live a quiet and peaceful life so you and I can focus on what? Godliness, honesty. Shining brightly is the light that God has called us to be. And I think that's a great crucial point to this passage that Paul is pointing out to Timothy as we understand it. Someone has said, made this statement, that if we don't pray for our government and its leaders, then we have lost the right to complain. (laughs) I would have to tend to agree with that. We need to pray for all those in authority in our government, our mayors, our governors, our legislatures, representatives, our congressmen and women, our, our president. Whether we agree with them or not, whether they're doing a good job or not in our estimation, we must pray for them. That's the biblical command here, and that's part of being a Christian citizen within an earthly kingdom. That's the call to us to do. Uh, You say, well, Pastor Henry, I just can't stand a particular government official, one that is wicked, that seems to uh, be out to get Christians in the church. What ought to move us to pray even more for that one? Make intercession. That's what Paul says. Supplicate on their behalf. Intercede. And boy, we are supposed to go to bat spiritually for them that God would work and move through them. There's no doubt that we have some like that in authority here in Michigan, around the nation, those who seem to have it out for Christians that dismiss Christianity as never before. And we see it throughout the entire nation. We see it as governors. We see it in others who just dismiss Christianity. I get it. Uh, Governor Newsom seems to be at the top of the list of California. He orders churches to, to close right and left. He, he made a statement. Now listen to this. This kind of reveals something about his ideology, the things that are behind what he does. Notice the statement he said when, when he was questioned about him saying that churches, now listen, he says they're not essential and are not necessary. And that's when he, he made the statement when, about not reopening them, about keeping them closed. Here's the statement he said. Here's why he doesn't want to reopen them. He made, oh, excuse me, I did not get ahead enough. Here we go, prayers. He said the statement. He's not reopened because churches are high risk and low reward. Okay, now listen to me, friend. I, I beg to differ with all respect to this governor because churches are not low reward. They will change a people, they will change families, they will change a city, they can help change through Jesus Christ's estate, they can change the nation, and friend, they can change the world. If they preach Jesus Christ. So you say, well, Pastor, what do we do about that? Well, the first thing you do, and I do, is pray for him. We need to pray for Governor Newsom. That God would work in his heart and life as we pray for everyone. Governor like this needs our prayer, as does our governor. Every person serving in our government, we need to pray for them. That God would open their eyes for their hearts to be moved by the truth of God's word and their minds to be informed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures. 
We need to pray for them that in every decision, in every act, God would work in their hearts and in the minds and lead them in the truth and, and open their hearts to it. We need to pray for them. I, like you, have found myself just being so frustrated. And boy, just not only our local government, but governments around the nation. And boy, it can just be like, oh, my friend, we need to make sure we're praying for them. Taking them before the Lord and beseeching God on their behalf, interceding on their behalf. Uh, they stand in position to impact uh, many people of the cities and states in our country. And can I just remind you that the scriptures make a great point in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Now, that is a great truth, great promise. The promise that God can take the heart of a leader and turn it as he wants. We would put it in our outline as this statement. As our God gave the authority, and that's certainly what back here in Romans chapter 13 and in verse number 1 says, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. God gives everyone power. I, boy, Christ's statement with the ones who interviewed him, Pilate and Herod, and just basically saying, listen, you would have no authority but God, unless God gave it to you. I mean, it's a clear-cut statement of, listen, God ordains power. You wouldn't have it unless God gave it and put you in this position. And so it is. So God gave power. He can therefore, in his omniscience, control it. His omnipotence, control it. He has the ability to do that. You and I can't do that. We can't mandate. We can't make uh, politicians do things, but we can pray and we can talk to the God who can move their heart. Boy, I like that, don't you? See, I might not have a direct line to the governor's mansion, but I have a direct line to heaven who has a direct line to the governor's heart. Amen? Same thing with the president. Same thing with congressmen. Okay? They may not return my email, and I've had several who didn't do that. They may not return a phone call. I get it. But I'll tell you, friend, when you and I can speak to the God of heaven who can touch their heart, that means something. And that's the promise of Scripture. You know, my friend, as we pray for them, we pray for God to work in them, we also ought to pray that God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. As Christ even demonstrated to the disciples. Now, I get it. After the last few months, maybe the last few years or prior years, you and I might say in our flesh, well, there's just no hope. It's just, it, boy, their heart is so hardened. God can't, oh, this can't happen. Well, let me just give you, if you don't mind, a, a little scriptural pep talk here. In considering Proverbs chapter 1, I want you to turn with me to Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6, would you? Ezra chapter number 6, if you'll turn there with me, and as you find it there, we'll give you a little background. In this chapter, we come across a kingly decree. It's a, it's a decree made by a secular, an unsaved tyrant, a, a king, the king of Assyria. It's not the king of Israel. He is literally the king of Babylon, the king of the Assyrians, having impact over the Assyrians and even the Medes and Persians to some degree. And uh, his name is Darius. And God leads him. He literally works in the heart of Darius to get him in verses 1 and 2. And this is neat. He works in his heart to get him to start looking for a scroll. And he's looking for a particular scroll or roll as it is called in verse number 1. And he's looking for this. And it's a decree of one of his predecessors or his predecessor Cyrus. And he's looking for that scroll. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal. We might think, okay, you servant, go, go in that other room. Go find that scroll. Not at all. This is a v big undertaking. 
Because it wasn't just in a room or it wasn't just a few scrolls, a few dozen to search through in an adjacent room in the palace. No, no, no. These were scattered. They had scrolls from the government, from edicts, from decrees, historical, all scattered all over this nation. There were literally towns that had a multitude of towns that had them in them, multitude of palaces within towns, and a multitude of provinces that had scrolls to look at. And so he undertakes this huge undertaking. Go finds the, he wants them to find the scroll. Well, finally, the scroll is found, and it's read before him. And, and uh, I love the description as it is. As it's read before him, his heart is moved. And we might say, oh, it must have been such a great decree. It was so wonderfully written. No, friend, God moved his heart. And as he read the decree of, of Cyrus, he himself reiterates the decree that Cyrus gave in Ezra chapter 1. It's a big deal. You say, why? Because it's a decree concerning the house of God. The building of it, the protection of it. Um, the calling of people literally to leave it alone. Here, here's just a, a, a piece of what it says. Look in verse 7, if you will. Ezra chapter 6, verse 7. This is part of the decree that Darius reiterates from Cyrus. Verse 7. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build and the house of God in this house of God in his place. Man, there's a whole bunch of politicians. I love to hear that verse. Leave the house of God alone. Leave it alone. Get your hands off of it. Governors over there in that area, get your hands off of it. Don't touch it. Don't make laws that hinder the worst. The bill. Don't do that. That's what he's saying. You say, well, boy, how, how does a secular king do that? I mean, this is not a good guy. This is a guy that, that really, I mean, Babylon and Assyrians, the these are not good people. How in the world does a secular king like that Make this kind of decree. Look ahead with me, verse 22 of the same chapter. Notice what Ezra realized. And kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of, of Syria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of the Lord of God, the God of Israel. And Ezra sees it, doesn't he? He says, no, 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 this isn't glory to that king, to Darius. No, 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 glory to God for moving in his heart. And that's a good thing, because I'll tell you, for this to happen is not dependent upon having a good politician. It's dependent upon having a great God. Do you hear me, Christian? It's not dependent upon, we, we need to get this guy or this lady in office. We need to put this person in office. No, no, no. That's not what it's dependent on. Hey, it doesn't matter the ruler. It doesn't matter the leader. Their heart is in God's hand. He can turn it whithersoever he will. That's the, the and that should be encouraging to you and I. It should be boosting our morale. There's hope there. God's hand at work in the heart of even wicked leaders. That's what Ezra saw. May I just tell you this, because of my biblical va values, um, I don't want a governor or a president that is for abortion. I don't want one that's for socialism. I don't want one that is behind go government overreach. I, I don't want one that's against capital punishment. But if that type of governor or president gets elected, my friend, it ain't over. It ain't all over. 
Reality is God can move in their heart just as easily as he can move in the heart of a good or believing president or governor. So don't give up hope. (laughs) Because when God is still on the throne, there's always hope. He can turn a heart whithersoever he wills. Our governor? Yes. Governor Newsom? Yes. You name the politician, the leader, the king, the president. God can turn the heart as he so chooses. I'll be honest with you. As we not only pray for them, we ought to pray for that. That God would work in their hearts and change them and mold them. And even use them like he used the Pharaoh. And like he used many other examples throughout the scriptures of, of leaders that we wouldn't look at. Oh, that's a great leader. No, terrible leader. But God used them. He even turned their will and their heart according to what he would have done. So we ought to pray to that end. And may I just submit to you, I, I believe that this has happened even with our current president. I believe that Christians have been moved to pray for this president like never before. And I believe God has used him in many ways. God has moved his heart. Now get this. He's worked in his heart even against his normal character. Some of his past things, you're like, that's not consistent with that decision. Praise God. That's not praise the President Trump. So I'm thankful for some decisions you move. Can I tell you, God can work through any president. And sometimes we want to give that president a whole lot of glory. That's fine. But he doesn't deserve the most of it. God does. Because he moves the heart of every uh, leader and so forth. And we ought to be thankful. I'm thankful for that. I'm certainly thankful for our, our president. But I'm most thankful for our God who works in the hearts of those in leadership. I love Ezra's response. Look at it in verse 27 of chapter 7, verse 27 of chapter 7, and into verse 28. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. Verse 28, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king. And what a great prayer of gratitude. What a great statement of praising God and being thankful for, to God. And I like what he says here. Not only working in the heart of, of the king, but that he has allowed us to have mercy in the sight of the king. I'll put it here in our outline this way. It is good, it is both good and right uh, for us to pray to find mercy in the sight of our authority. That's a good thing to pray for. As we intercede and we supplicate and we pray for them and on their behalf, that God will work in their hearts and work to to move their hearts and work through them, we ought to pray that we gain mercy in the sight. I like that because it goes with 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to live a quiet and peaceful life so that Fostoria Baptist Church, Stephen Henry as a Christian, doesn't have to focus on everything else. I can just focus on being godly and winning souls, furthering the kingdom of God. See, that's what we want. We want to pray towards that end, that God will work in hearts and lives accordingly. You see, we can talk negatively about their evil policies, or the policies that aren't in keeping with principles of Scripture. We can criticize their actions that are not right and hurtful. And we can certainly call politicians and authorities out for failing to act righteously. But let's make sure we're praying for God to put in their heart to have mercy on us. Let's make sure we're praying and interceding on their behalf that God would do a miraculous work. See, it's part of our responsibility as Christian citizens in an earthly kingdom. 
We ought to support our government and all those in authority through prayer. Let's go back to Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 7 again, if you will. Romans 13, verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Letter C, we ought to support with our praise. We ought to support with our praise the word honor here. And uh, well aware, we've seen it before, the word honor literally means to assess value to the object. So whatever is the object of my honor. And so uh, there's verses that tell us to honor parents. We'll see one here in a moment that says honor all, all, all people, all men. And so honor means to assess value to the object of that honor. It's giving value to them. And certainly we can do that by praise for them. Now here's our problem sometimes. In our flesh and our carnality, we can balk at that because why, we ask ourselves, should I give honor to someone that doesn't honor me? That is, they don't value me, why should I value them? When we see that and our flesh just retaliates, you know, when you might get dismissed as being a, a deplorable or whatever, right? You get dismissed as being somebody that doesn't matter. And, I, you know, I, I live in the Midwest. I, I'm sick and tired of hearing the statement of being a part of the flyover states. Like, we don't matter to the United States of America. Listen, when somebody doesn't value you and your flesh, like, oh, why do you say that? Why is that? And but we can, we can kind of uh, balk and pull back, be hesitant from doing this. It makes obeying 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17 um, difficult. What, what, what happens there? Well, in that verse, we're, we're encouraged to do what? Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Preach it twice, the same word of idea of valuing. Uh, and that makes it tough because you know what we are? We are a reciprocating society in the heart of our culture. In other words, if people do something to me, then I'm great. I can do it back to them. And if I think I'm going to get it in return, I can do it. I can give it to them even ahead of time. And uh, I, I can do that. We have that kind of in our, our culture, our society. And we hear it much, don't we? Have you heard the statement? Well, you've got to earn respect. You've got to earn honor. You've got to earn these things. As I've told you before, that just isn't biblical. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Bible does not say here, honor only the men that honor you. Honor only the men that give you honor, give you respect. No, it doesn't say that. It says honor all men. And then it says, honor the king. And back here, honor to whom honors do. And that's a tough, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big call or a big responsibility for you and I. You say, how in the world? Well, number one, you're not going to have to have the Holy Spirit help us do that at certain situations. But how can we do that and why should we do that? Well, number one, I want you to see as we go back to the outline here, the first thing is this. We do it because, number one, or we give honor because God says to do it. Okay, number one, let's just, just hit it where it is. We do it because God says to do it. We just, this is obedience to God, and God deserves obedience. Next week, we'll get into the difference between subjection or submission and obedience. There is a difference. We'll talk about it next week. I think it's very crucial to this reality of our interaction with government. We'll see that next week. But uh, our obedience to God, and God deserves obedience, demands it at times. And our obedience to God, we ought to do this. And so, and we can obey God because we know what about God? He is perfect, he is holy, and everything he commands us is for our good. 
So I can obey him because I know my God. I know the character of my God. So key, so crucial uh, to who God is beyond the fact that he deserves obedience. Number two, we can give honor to someone, even a politician, someone in authority, or another person who's rude, unkind, wicked, and so forth. I can give them honor because you know why? They are made in the image of God. That ought to factor in to my reality that I can honor them because they're made in the image of God. There's no other creation like mankind. There's no other creation created in such a way, uh, no animal, nothing else that rivals mankind. And so part of this, uh, this command to honor all men is the reality that, you know what? We alone are made in the image of God. So that factors into it. Number three, here's another factor that comes into it. We give honor because they possess redemptive value. Now, this is key to our understanding of the doctrine of soteriology, salvation. Let me ask you a question. Who did Christ die for? Everyone. All mankind. He died for them. May I tell you, everyone because of that has intrinsic redemptive value. God is not willing that any should perish. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for everyone. All they have to do is take him up on his offer of free salvation. He paid the penalty for their sins on the cross of Calvary. Every one of them, every person, governor, president, congressman, congresswoman, legislator, they all have redemptive power. Your neighbors, my neighbors, person, the coworker that we work with, they all have redemptive, not power, excuse me, redemptive value. Redemptive value. And therefore, it ought to move us to say, you know what, I can honor them. Because God says it, because they're created in the image of God, and because they have redemptive value. These things are the basis for our honor. So we should do that. There, there is value we should give unto our governor, our congressmen and women, our president. We should honor them. We should praise them when we can. And I, I think sometimes we falter at this. And I'll just tell you tonight, I, I praise our governor for listening to the people and our legislators and adding those exemption clauses to the executive orders uh, that, that exempt houses of worship. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. There are things that I disagree with her, yes, but I am thankful that made it in there. And there's other things, certainly, that, that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the stands our president has taken on life and against abortion. I, I praise him for calling for all churches in our nation to open up back in May. I, I, I praise him for that. I'm, I'm grateful for those things. I honor him for that. I, I praise all of our political leaders, no matter what party or whatever, for not quitting when this crisis hit. It's been a very difficult time for anyone in authority. <laughs> many times, a no-win situation, I get it. I've said it many times about our own governor. Boy, I admire that she stuck to it at least. She didn't quit. She didn't run with her tail between her legs. It would have been a whole lot easier to do that. And uh, I praise them for it. I honor them for that. You know, certainly, we're, we might have to work harder with some in authority than others, But the fact is, in obedience to Scripture, we ought to strive to value them in our hearts, in our attitudes, and even with our words. This is giving them honor, value. And we must be careful not to undermine with tearing them down or slandering them. Go ahead, speak negative or expose what's wrong with their policies and their principles. But be careful not to speak negative about them personally or tear them down in front of others. Don't deride them. Don't do it. I know it's tempting. I'll tell you, I, I feel guilty at times of it, uh, trying to you know, just make a little funny about our governor or someone else. And be careful. Because we don't want to undermine what we are called to do as believers in honoring someone. 
And how can we underline it? Well, we can undermine it with what we would put here in our outline, dishonor. Uh, personally attacking, uh, making fun of how they look, or whatever the case may be. Be careful, Christian, because you and I are called to do what? Honor them. We may disagree with policies, and that's okay. There may be principles and ideology that they operate by. Good, expose it. Let's tell the world where they're wrong and not following the Scriptures. But do it respectfully. Do it with an attitude of honoring them of still valuing them as this passage bears out. And I'll tell you, we've got to work at that, friend. Because our children are listening. The unsaved are listening. Others are listening. So do it with honor and respect. Because the fact is, when we deride, when we dishonor someone by tearing them down, attacking them personally, we hurt all authority when we do so. It affects it all. Disagree graciously and respectfully. Now, may I just tell you, the world could use some good examples of how to disagree respectfully. Okay? You don't have to go tear down things and burn things when you disagree. It's okay. We can disagree respectfully, graciously. The world needs to learn how to do that. The Bible tells you and I we ought to be capable of doing that. We ought to honor them, though we may disagree with them, and we ought to do it graciously and respectfully. Letter D, real quick, notice it, add to it. I think it's throughout this passage, and I, uh, I think it's crucial to you and I as Christian citizens in an earthly kingdom. Letter D, we are so, to support through our preaching. Through our preaching, okay? Uh, it has been said and that uh, the church is the conscience of the government. I would tend to b- agree with that and believe it, especially for us as Americans. Why? Because our government has officially been described as a government that is of the people, by the people, for the people. So in many ways, we certainly are. It doesn't mean that we control the state. That's not what we're saying. Right? It's not that the church controls the state, the state controls us. Not at all. Uh, the Catholic Church has proven that don't work. And uh, so uh, that's not supposed to have their fingers in and out. Great Britain has proved that too, the other way around. And what it simply means is this. We need to preach and confront our nation and our government with what the Bible says. And what is the, the, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. Each one of us as believers, we need to speak up for what the Bible says. The Bible, the, the country, America, needs our preaching and uh, proclaiming, if you want to put it better in that way. We need to faithfully preach to this people and this country. They need to get right with God. They need to turn back to the Scriptures and what it teaches, the principles found therein. You say, I, I don't know if that's our responsibility. Well, let me tell you, Nathan went to David and warned him. Elijah preached to Ahab. Eliezer warned Jehoshaphat. Daniel preached to Nebuchadnezzar. Moses was God's prophet to Pharaoh. John the Baptist preached to Herod. May I just tell you, God never called God's people to be silent. We ought to teach, we ought to preach, we ought to speak up. May I just tell you, as long as, as long as our nation is killing little babies, I'm not going to be silent. As long as people are trying to normalize sexual perversion, I'm not going to be silent. As long as God's institution of marriage is under attack, we're not going to be silent. As long as they're issuing condoms in schools and teaching sex education without moral values, we can't be silent. And we shouldn't be. 
We need to speak up. When they tell any freeborn American citizen he cannot pray vocally in school, we can't be silent. When rogue government figures are threatening both our God-given and constitutionally given rights to assemble and worship God, we can't be silent. When the government denies the Creator His right to determine someone's gender, we can't be silent. Believer, the world, our nation, the government needs to hear you and I proclaim the truth. They need to hear it. That's part of our responsibility as a good citizen, a Christian citizen. We need to preach to our government. We need to be the voice of truth and wisdom for a nation that is short on both. Somebody needs to give the truth. And you're going to hold your breath, or don't hold your breath, if you expect the media to speak the truth. Don't hold your breath if you expect the politicians to speak the truth, to give wisdom for times like this. This nation needs the church, yea, this nation needs believers who preach, who proclaim. That's part of our responsibility as citizens. We're not supposed to have our head in the sand. We're not supposed to just uh, be lemmings. We're not supposed to just, uh, just say nothing and don't speak to the wrongs going on. We need to speak up. We need to speak the truth and the wisdom of God's word. It's our responsibility to speak up, stand up, step up for the cause of America as Christian citizens within this country. Preach. Be instant in season, out of season. Give the words of truth that the world needs so desperately to hear. Start with the gospel. Let's not get away from our central theme and the reality of what people need most. They need Jesus Christ. Start there, but continue teaching the principles of how to live, how to, we're supposed to interact with one another, how we're supposed to govern, what things look like according to God's blueprint. Speak to all these things. May I tell you, America needs to hear that. Yea, I would say it's our duty as Christian citizens within an earthly kingdom to do just that. Throughout the Scriptures, you and I are called to be faithful to support the governments that we find ourselves under their authority. And these are some ways for us to do that. Next week, we'll get into a couple more, and then we'll get into some more specific things, I think, that are even for the present day that I think are great, true biblical principles. Hope it's been a challenge to you. Let's go ahead and get in our prayer requests. I remind you.